For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today's destination is Utica, New York. Located in Oneida County, the city of 65,000 residents is steeped in history with a legacy that spans over two centuries. Founded in the late 18th century, Utica's roots can be traced back to the American Revolution. In 1773, Colonel William Floyd, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, was granted land in the region for his service during the war. This marked the initial settlement that would become Utica. The city was named after the ancient North African city, which had been Rome's capital in Africa. Like many cities in the Northeast United States, the completion of the Erie Canal in 1825 was a transformative event for Utica, providing a vital trade route that spurred economic growth. By the mid-19th century, it was a bustling industrial center with a thriving population. The city also became a melting pot of cultures, with waves of immigrants arriving in the 19th and 20th centuries, particularly from Italy, Ireland, and Eastern Europe. Utica also has the distinction of being the home of the Utica Club, the first brewery in the nation to obtain a license and sell the first beer after Prohibition was repealed in 1933. Today, Utica stands as a testament to its storied past, with historic landmarks serving as reminders of its cultural and architectural heritage. The city continues to evolve, blending its historical roots with a vision for the future, making Utica a unique and vibrant community in upstate New York. But in 2015, this vibrant community was dimmed when one community member met with a shocking and untimely death. 60-year-old Mary Yoder was known for being the epitome of health. She and her husband, Bill, who were both chiropractors, owned and operated the Family Chiropractic Center in Utica, and they lived what they preached, holistic healing that focused on the mind, body, and soul. Mary was physically fit, ate well, exercised a lot, and believed in the benefits of supplements, so much so that they sold supplements in their chiropractic center. On Monday, July 20th, 2015, Mary wasn't feeling well, and at the end of her workday, she called her husband, Bill. She told him that if he were making dinner, he didn't need to make any for her. She said she was feeling horrible and couldn't stomach the thought of eating anything. When she got home, she made a beeline for the front door and ran straight to the bathroom where she got sick. When the symptoms stopped, she decided she was going to bed to sleep off whatever bug she had. But the next morning, she wasn't any better. In fact, she looked much worse. So Bill loaded her into the car and drove to the emergency room. The ER doctor ran tests, but Mary did not have the flu or any of the common stomach bugs that were going around. They checked her into the hospital for more testing, and Bill called their children to let them know what was going on. At about 10 o'clock that night, Mary felt a little better and attempted to get out of bed, but immediately fell down. After that, doctors moved her to the ICU, where she began to deteriorate. Several doctors saw her throughout the night and noticed that at times she was so sick she was almost unconscious, but then all of a sudden she'd be alert and feeling better. Early that morning, while in the ICU, Mary had a heart attack. 
doctors were able to revive her. But as the day went on, Mary had seven additional heart attacks. After her eighth one, doctors were unable to resuscitate her. Within 48 hours of first feeling sick, Mary Yoder suffered a complete organ shutdown. With Mary when she passed away was Bill, her husband of almost 40 years, her daughters Leanna and Tamarin, her son Adam, and Adam's girlfriend Caitlin Conley. Mary Yoder grew up in upstate New York with five sisters and two brothers. She met her husband Bill when they were both students at the University of Buffalo and fell in love. They finished school and opened chiropractic family care, which they had owned and operated for the past 28 years. Mary was known for her kindness and was loved in the community. And she had a lot of hobbies that kept her young. She was a gardener, a photographer. She loved painting and dancing. And Kathy, among the dances that she took classes in was belly dancing. Ballet? Belly. Belly, B-E-L-L-Y. Yes. Wow. But as was written in her obituary, Mary's most important role was being the best grandmother to her seven grandchildren. According to an episode of American Justice, season 15, episode two, since doctors didn't know why Mary died, they asked Bill if he would consent to having her autopsied. Bill immediately said yes, because the family really needed to know how she died. And Kathy, I thought this was interesting because I thought if you were under a doctor's care when you passed away, like a regular doctor, not emergency room doctor, right, that you weren't autopsied. I didn't realize that you didn't have to have the person autopsied unless it was like a suspected murder, that kind of thing. In other words, if you're under a doctor's care, you don't have to. Is that what you're telling Correct. me? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I could clarify something for you. Then. <laughs> anyway, I heard in this episode, and I'm not sure if this is true, but they said because she was in the hospital for more than 24 hours, it was considered being under a doctor's care. So it wasn't like she just came in and they found out what was wrong and gave her some medicine and she left. Dr. Kenneth Clark with the Onondaga County Medical Examiner's Office conducted the autopsy. And he definitely saw something strange. When he looked at cells from Mary's individual organs on slides under the microscope, the cells appeared to be killing themselves. This was the first clue anyone had that something may have been introduced into Mary's body that actually caused her death. Dr. Clark sent blood to be tested for heavy metals and typical poisons like arsenic and cyanide. About two months later, Dr. Clark received the results and the blood tested negative for everything. So, of course, now he's baffled. He knows she's been poisoned, but he doesn't know how. However, by this time, Kath, Mary's body had already been released back to the family and cremated. Dr. Clark had only one vial of her blood left that could be used for testing. So because he knew he had to make sure he was running the right tests and not kind of going off in a wild goose chase, Dr. Clark reached out to Dr. Gina Marafa with the Upstate New York Poison Center. He discussed the case with her, and based upon the timetable of events when Mary became symptomatic to the time of death, along with the cardiac events, Dr. Marafa believed they were probably looking at colchizine poisoning. Colchizine is a medication that is used in low doses to treat gout. It's an anti-inflammatory and reduces the amount of liquids in your body. In higher doses, however, it can be lethal. With the last vial of blood, they did a test. It was positive for colchizine. Investigators with the Oneida County Sheriff's Office began investigating Mary's death. They looked into whether she was depressed, had significant health issues, or anything else 
that might have caused her to take her own life. None of her family members or friends thought it was possible. And at the time of her death, Mary and her husband, Bill, were preparing for retirement. And they were also about to take their dream vacation to Europe, which Bill had surprised her with. The idea of suicide was dismissed. Detectives next looked at what Mary did the day she died. Based on her reaction, colchazine would have had to have been given to her within six to eight hours of when she first started experiencing symptoms, which would have been lunchtime. On that day, Mary was at the office before her first appointment of the day at 8 a.m. She planned to go to lunch with her mom, who lived nearby, but when Mary arrived at her mom's house, her mom had already eaten lunch. They visited a while, and when Mary got back to the office, she had a protein shake, which is what she had for lunch almost every day. Three months after Mary's death, investigators now looked into whether there was someone in Mary's life who had a motive to kill her, and the first person they looked at was her husband. Bill was absent from their office the day Mary ingested the colchazine, which was very unusual for him, and police were initially unable to determine where he was that day. Also, he wasn't interested in how the police investigation into his wife's death was going. He wasn't calling them and inquiring. He wasn't pushing for it. Then he began taking a lot of trips out of town and did not seem to be in mourning. Investigator Mark Van Amy spoke on the American Justice episode and said that when they looked into Bill, they learned of a rumor that was circulating in the community. People were saying that Bill was having a romantic relationship with another woman who Mary knew well. It wasn't a friend, but it was one of her sisters. The question investigator Van Amy had was when did it start? If it was before Mary's death, it could provide a motive. But before the sheriff's office had a chance to look further into this rumor, two identical anonymous letters showed up one at the medical examiner's office and the other at the Oneida County Sheriff's Office. The letter directed police to one person, Adam Yoder, the youngest and only son of Mary and Bill's three children. The anonymous letter said that if the toxin found in Mary's system was colchazine, Adam was responsible. The author of the letter said, Adam told me he did it and how, as well as where he put the rest of the toxin. So, Kath, basically the anonymous letter said Adam had some sort of conflict with his parents and didn't think people were paying enough attention to him. The letter also said that after his mom died, he was visibly irritated whenever anybody asked about his mom. According to the letter, he also expected a payout when his mom died and never got one. Did the letter explain what kind of payout, like insurance money or what? It didn't. The letter said investigators could find the colchazine container under the front seat in Adam's Jeep but they needed to hurry because Adam was trying to figure out the best place to dispose of it. And Kath investigators believe that whoever wrote this letter had a lot of inside information. And honestly, their first thought went to Bill Yoder, Mary's husband. Thinking Bill wrote the letter? Yeah, because they just knew a lot about what had happened to Mary. Investigator Van Amy tried to use the anonymous letter as probable cause to get a search warrant for Adam's vehicle, but the judge said it wasn't enough to issue one. So instead, the investigator simply called Adam and asked him to come to the Oneida County Sheriff's Office for an interview. Since Adam was extremely close to his mom, he wanted to help find her killer, so he did. Adam showed up in the Jeep that was mentioned in the anonymous letter. He sat in an interview room with investigators for a couple of hours and answered every question he was asked. 
During the interview, investigator Van Amy told Adam about the anonymous letter and its contents and told Adam that they wanted to search his Jeep. Adam said he wanted to call a lawyer. So Kathy actually called the lawyer and the lawyer was like, well, if you have nothing to hide, let him search. So he did. That doesn't sound like any single lawyer I know. (laughs) know. And I know a lot of lawyers. Exactly. And we know a lot of teachers, too. (laughs) Teachers might even be able to give this advice. Actually, they might give better advice. (laughs) Anyway, as an investigator searched under the front passenger seat, Adam stood a few feet away, smoking a cigarette and watching. Then suddenly, an investigator pulled out a bottle of colchazine with packing cardboard around it. And of course, Adam looked shocked. And Kath, just to kind of describe what this is, it looked a little bit odd. It was a vial that was about three inches high and it had like a strip of cardboard that had been wrapped around it and had tape around it. It looked like something if you were like shipping a bottle and you wanted to give it a little bit more padding Mm. that you would put it around there. But there was no shipping box that accompanied this bottle in his Jeep. Next to the bottle was a receipt that contained a lot of personal information about who purchased the colchazine. It was shipped to the chiropractic office owned by his parents, and the email address on the receipt was Mr. Adam Yoder1990 at gmail.com. Adam told investigators this was not his email address. Adam and the investigators went back to the interview room, and the investigators continued questioning him. He denied any involvement in his mom's death. And he said he couldn't have done it because he wasn't even in town the day that it happened. He gave investigators access to his easy pass. This is a vehicle transponder cath when you go through toll roads. And when they looked at the records, it was exactly the same information that Adam had given them. Investigators asked him if he knew anybody who would want to hurt his mom. And Adam said no. Then they asked if his dad would be so cold hearted as to kill his mom and then frame Adam for her death. Adam was adamant that his dad would never do that. But investigators weren't so sure. They were having a really hard time trying to determine when Bill's relationship with Mary's sister began. To learn more about Bill's day-to-day activities, investigators turned to Caitlin Connolly. She was Adam's on-again, off-again girlfriend, and at the time she was off again, and she was the office manager of the chiropractic office. She was very close to Bill and Mary. She was even listed as a loved one in Mary's obituary, and she was considered an integral part of the Yoder family. Caitlin would even schedule game nights at the Yoder family home where they'd grill burgers and play board games. When you say schedule, what do you mean? You mean she was like, all right, everybody, we're meeting on Friday. We're going to do board games and (laughs) and burgers. Be sure and make some good food for me. Exactly. I want dessert and I want alcohol. (laughs) I I like that. I feel like I should do that with you. All right, Kath, I'm scheduling a game night at your place. Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Thank God you don't have a key. (laughs) I want salami and cheese. I'll tell you where to get your salami. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, investigators believed Caitlin could provide huge insight into what Bill was doing. Was he acting differently? Had he changed his behavior? So Caitlin went down to the sheriff's office to meet with them and told them she didn't think Bill had anything to do with Mary's murder. Investigator Van Amy talked to her about her on-off relationship with Adam, and Caitlin responded that she was scared of Adam. And she also said that she thought the investigator couldn't protect her. Interestingly, what she said about Adam was phrased in exactly the same manner as it was written in the anonymous letter received by the medical examiner in the sheriff's offices. The letter said that the writer was afraid to give their name because they were very close to Adam 
but was afraid of what he'd do if he found out who sent it to the authorities. According to the previously mentioned episode of American Justice, investigator Van Amy asked Caitlin if she was the author. She didn't say no, so he asked again, and this time she admitted that she wrote the letters using the computers at her college. A video of the interview showed Lieutenant Robert Nelson coming into the interview room with Caitlin. He says to Caitlin, so what you're telling investigator Van Amy here is that Adam told you he did this to his mother. Am I right? And she said, right. Lieutenant Nelson then asked, and he also told you where he put the colchazine? And she's like, yep. And then the lieutenant says, why is he telling anyone what he did? And she goes, I think it's a power thing. I think it's a control thing. Then the video showed investigator Van Amy again questioning Caitlin. He asked her, is it possible someone made it look like Adam did it? And she said, no. Is it possible somebody planted colchazine on him? Nope. The investigator then went on, because I can tell you right now in the FBI studies, guys don't hang on to the murder weapon because that's how they get caught. And Caitlin responded, right, but guys also don't use poison. And the investigator was like, a lot of people do. And she was like, well, they say that's a lady's weapon. So kind of funky, this interview. Rut-row. Rut-row. <laughs> After this interview, the sheriffs were a little perplexed because it was an odd interview. Most of the time, despite the way Kathy said it, she answered right. Yeah, she really was giving one word answers. I liked my dramatic rendition better. Thank you very much. I actually did, too. I think you kept everyone awake, and I appreciate that. They appreciate that, because a lot of them are driving. So, <laughs> But some of the things she said were odd, and especially when she was talking about how they don't use poison. Now, Caitlin had never been looked at as a suspect, but with all the kind of odd things she said, investigators really felt that they needed to put her on the list, even though the only motive they could really think of was, well, she probably didn't have a problem with Mary. But would she do this to get back at Adam? I mean, that's kind of a long shot, right? As far as investigators were concerned, Bill was still a viable suspect. He went down to the sheriff's office to speak with investigators and admitted he was in a relationship with Mary's sister. But he insisted that his relationship did not start until a couple of months after Mary's death. He provided his cell phone to investigators so that they could download the phone's contents and look at his calls and text messages and also provided records from his car transponder. Using all of this information, investigators were not able to put Bill and Mary's sister together as a couple until several weeks after Mary's death. With no apparent motive, Bill was moved down the list as a suspect. Going back to the anonymous letter, forensic analysts were able to determine that the letter was mailed from the family's chiropractic business. And there was DNA on the envelope underneath the stamp that belonged to a female. Police asked Caitlin to come in for a DNA sample, which she willingly did. And Kath, here's what's funny. While she was there, and this is on this American Justice episode, Lieutenant Nelson said they were just chatting with her as she was doing this. And she said, oh, by the way, here are my duties at the chiropractic office and just started telling them, even though they hadn't asked her a question. And as part of this, she said, oh, and the other thing I always do is I always pre-stamp all the envelopes. So I'll lick a bunch of stamps and put them on envelopes, even though we're not ready to use them yet. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. And so, yeah, the lieutenant said it was very odd because we hadn't asked her that. And so why are you telling us this? In the next job interview, if somebody asked me, how many stamps are you able to pre-lick for us? I'll be like, I don't know. How many do you need lick? I'll lick them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a Tootsie Pop. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) The sheriff's office subpoenaed Google to get more information about the Gmail account on the receipt for the Colchazine. This is the Mr. Adam Yoder 1990 at gmail.com. Google was able to provide information on the devices that accessed the Gmail account, and it was only two devices. One was at Caitlin Conley's home, and the other was her cell phone. Investigator Van Amy confronted Caitlin during an interrogation and told her they knew she'd accessed the email account from her phone. She said Adam must have found a way to do it remotely. And so the investigator was like, no, no, Caitlin, the only time this was logged into was from your computer at home or your cell phone. He said, agreed. And she responds, I hear you. (laughs) I'm not sure she did. I'm sure he was like, what the hell does that mean? But anyway, (laughs) right. Using the information from Google, a judge signed off on a search warrant for Caitlin's cell phone. One of the first things that digital forensic analysts found was the Mr. Adam Yoder 1990 at Gmail account had been added to her personal cell phone. And along with finding her DNA on the anonymous letter stamp, it was also on the cardboard wrapper around the bottle of colchazine they found in Adam's car. In the fourth interview with Caitlin, she acknowledged that she purchased a prepaid credit card in Adam's name. The credit card number matched the credit card number on the receipt for the colchazine. And now we already talked about the cardboard wrapper having her DNA. Investigators discovered that there were three DNA contributors on the colchazine bottle itself, and none were Adam's. However, Caitlin's DNA was present. If you're a calf, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to BadlandsFood.com slash Killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash Killer D. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Like Kathy and I, and you enjoy a nice glass of wine, but you're not a connoisseur, let Dracaena Wines be your guide. Dracaena is the creation of Lori and Michael, a husband and wife team who both have science backgrounds. Michael is a food chemist and Lori was a microbiologist. So these two nerds did the hard work for us. (laughs) And we mean that in the most complimentary way. Most complimentary way. (laughs) My husband and I actually met Lori in Paso Robles. She was phenomenal and introduced me to her Cabernet Franc, which is to die for. They actually specialize in Cabernet Franc, Rosé, and Chenin Blanc. And for the last 10 years, every vintage of their wines has received a 90-plus rating from wine enthusiasts. That's no surprise. It's so good. The name Dracaena is the genus name of the Draco tree, and Draco was the name of their beloved Weimariner. So all you dog lovers out there got to buy their wine. (laughs) Because they donate to dog charities. And you will get 10% off if you use the code KILLER. And they have a wine club that's called the Chalk Club which I love. That's named after their dog named Vegas. Right. Their second Weimariner. Exactly. And that's because in Vegas, if you're betting chalk, you are betting on all the favorites. And they are taking the gamble that once you taste their wine, like Kathy with a C did, they will become one of your favorites. Not only are their wines delicious, they're reasonably priced. So to make a purchase, go to DracaenaWines.com. D-R-A-C-A-E-N-A Wines.com. And on this site, there's a link to their weekly podcast and weekly blog posts. And you'll also find links to all of their socials. Hey, who needs to learn to drive? Seriously, who needs to learn to drive? (laughs) (laughs) Or which friend of yours needs to learn to drive so they'll stop using you as their personal rideshare service. But without the tips. (laughs) (laughs) If you live in the Southern California counties of Los Angeles and Orange, Premium Driving School can help. Their certified instructors will help you pass your permit test, learn how to drive and get your license. And you'll be learning in a late model Mini Cooper. So that's fun. That's the best part. Premium Driving School offers a number of packages, including behind the wheel driving lesson packages for teens and adults and refresher driving skills lessons for mature and senior drivers. Maybe I should have Dick and Laura go there. (laughs) (laughs) Those are Kathy's parents. And I think you're actually right. (laughs) They could use it. Lessons are available seven days a week and are based on each person's individual skill and ability level. Premium Driving School is here to help you learn how to drive and become a confident and safe driver. And it has a five-star Google rating. For more information, go to their website, learntodrivetoday.com. Learn, the number two, drivetoday.com. And with the code KILLERD, they'll give you a 10% discount on your lessons. All of their evidence was circumstantial, but the district attorney was convinced it was enough to show that only Caitlin could be responsible for Mary's murder. Nearly a year after her death, Caitlin was indicted on charges of second-degree murder. The trial started one year after that. In a Syracuse.com article on May 11, 2017 by Elizabeth Duran, during trial, Assistant District Attorney Lori Lisi presented a case in which Caitlin Conley, rejected by Adam Yoder, killed his mother to get him to take her back. The prosecution was basically asserting that Caitlin believed that Adam would come to her for sympathy in the wake of his mom's death. But when Adam didn't go to her for sympathy, 
Caitlin changed her motive and decided to frame him for the murder as revenge for rejecting her. That was when Caitlin sent police the anonymous letter trying to frame Adam for the crime, with the prosecutor reminding the jury that Caitlin admitted to writing and sending the letter. Prosecutor Lisi said, quote, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Vengeance, thy name is Caitlin Conley. End quote. Which is funny because I thought that was Shakespeare and it's not. It's not. I can't remember who it is, but it's not Shakespeare. Because you thought it was Macbeth. I did. Anyway, we're both but wrong. we're both wrong. Right. Somebody out there in the world knows. <laughs> Please let us know. This was the first time prosecutors spoke about what they believed to be Caitlin's motive. Prosecutor Lisi said that after Adam and Caitlin broke up the first time, the two got back together after Caitlin called him, saying that she'd had an ectopic pregnancy and lost a baby. But then Adam broke up with her a second time after suspecting she cheated on him with his best friend. After he rejected her twice, the prosecutor said Caitlin killed Adam's mother and then tried to frame him for the crime. She was desperate and would do anything to get him back. The other thing the prosecution pointed out, Kathy, is that she was the only person at the chiropractic office that day, in addition to the patients, but as staff. And Mary Yoder was known for always having protein shakes for lunch. And so Caitlin would have the opportunity and the knowledge to be able to lace one of the drinks with the colchicine. During trial, the prosecution brought out the fact that Caitlin was linked to the anonymous letter, but it was not actually composed at one of her school computers, but rather Mary Yoder's chiropractic office. The letter was also typed at the computer where Caitlin usually sat as office manager. Analysts were also able to retrieve each iteration of the letter, which was written over several weeks. So each version of the letter cap was given to the jury to view. And then when it was re-edited, the jury got to see the next one and the next one and the next one till the letter was perfected. The prosecution also pointed out that Caitlin's DNA was found on the stamp affixed to the anonymous letter. As far as the purchase of the colchizine, as we know, Caitlin admitted to using a credit card with Adam's name on it that she had purchased. And we also know that her DNA was found on the bottle and its wrapper. There was also testimony from the pharmaceutical company that filled the order. So, Kath, this apparently does not require a prescription. However, the defense was arguing it wasn't Caitlin, it wasn't Caitlin, she didn't purchase this. They had testimony from somebody at the pharmaceutical company saying, Whoever purchased this tried to use a 10% off coupon, and we called the number of the person who ordered the colchizine to let them know that this coupon couldn't be used. The number was actually the number to Yoder Chiropractic, and they spoke with a woman who was young and had a soft voice. Caitlin was the only woman on staff who fit that criteria. In addition, the prosecution presented testimony that the Gmail account, Mr. Adam Yoder 1990, had the password, Adam is gay. <laughs> Which seems like such a dude thing to do. It sounds like a prank, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. And the prosecutor pointed out that it was unlikely that Adam himself would have created this password. The defense's strategy was made clear from the beginning. Caitlin Connolly did not kill Mary Yoder. The defense said it was Mary's husband, Bill, who did it. Defense attorney Christopher Pelly argued that there was no motive for Caitlin to kill Mary, who was not only her boss, but was also a good friend. And Kath, even one of Mary's five sisters testified for the defense, believing Bill killed Mary. 
I know that you're not going to agree with the way I phrase this, Kathy, because you being legal and all and me just being baby bar. (laughs) But defense attorney Pelly essentially used his closing argument to counter everything the prosecution's witnesses testified to, which is what he's supposed to do. However, he seemed to kind of play fast and loose with those rules. He probably took poetic license. All right, we'll call it that. (laughs) Pelly said Bill had motive and opportunity to kill his wife. Bill wanted to continue a romantic relationship with one of Mary's sisters. Even though Bill testified the relationship started after his wife's death, the defense presented a witness who said she saw them passionately kissing two weeks before Mary died. This was something the defense brought up during their direct examination and the prosecution's cross-examination was able to show that they actually had documents. Remember, Bill Yoder had given them all of his travel documents and phone and all that, that he actually wasn't even in the state when that happened. In addition, the defense speculated that Bill had received a $400,000 inheritance from his father and did not want to share it with his wife. And I'm not sure if he's speculating about the inheritance or the not sharing part or both. But then defense attorney Pelly gave what I'm referring to allegedly as... (laughs) I love that. I love how you... If I say allegedly, I'm going to toss my opinion in here. (laughs) It is my understanding. Yes, exactly. That he gave a totally made up scenario in which he believed Bill could have killed Mary. This is what he said. When Mary was sick in the hospital, attorney Pelly believed Bill brought his wife cough drops and an inhaler. Pelly said Bill could have laced colchizine into one of those. Bill likely rolled a cough drop in the poison and then went home, turned off his phone, went to sleep and waited for Mary to die. Nothing was presented that I could find as evidence that any of this happened. So for the record, closing argument is supposed to be when the attorneys discuss the facts of the case and then they can give theories on reasonable inferences that they draw from the facts. What Kathy is saying is that he made this up out of whole cloth. It kind of sounded like that. So the prosecution goes first, then the defense, then the prosecution, because the prosecution carries the burden. So I am sure the prosecution on rebuttal was like, Nay, nay, fair maiden. This is how it happened. (laughs) You know what, Kath? I couldn't find that anywhere. I was looking for that just for that reason, because I wanted you to say nay, nay, fair maiden. (laughs) You know how I like that. (laughs) Now, defense attorney Pelly also said that the forensic evidence retrieved from Caitlin Conley's cell phone and computer should not be believed because the work was done by a Utica College graduate student who was a novice. I'm assuming this person worked for the digital forensics lab, but I'm not sure. The defense attorney also discounted the DNA evidence in this case as garbage without giving any sort of rebuttal to that that I'm aware of. Also, according to defense attorney Pelly, there was a simple explanation for Caitlin's DNA being on the colchizine bottle in Adam's car. Caitlin, of course, was his ex-girlfriend. She'd ridden in the car many times and sat in the passenger seat. So, of course, her DNA is going to be in the car and could easily get on the bottle under the cardboard wrapper. After a three-week trial, Jurors deliberated for five days. Ultimately, they told the judge they couldn't agree on a verdict and a mistrial was declared. Within weeks, Oneida County District Attorney Scott McNamara announced that his office would retry Caitlin Conley. In the American Justice episode we've referenced, D.A. McNamara said his office did a post-mortem on what was needed to be changed in the second trial. And this is true, Kath. Any time the prosecution loses, as long as it's not an acquittal, any time there's a mistrial, they're educated. 
And the defense is educated, too, but the prosecution in particular. Right. They know what they did incorrectly or maybe not enough of and can change things around. Exactly. So the second go around with Caitlin, they hired a jury consultant. As the DA's staff put together their strategy for the second trial, the consultant told them it was very important to determine where potential jurors got their news from. If they listened to talk shows, then they were allowing someone to tell them what to believe. The consultant also recommended bringing in younger people on the jury because they would better understand the digital information used to connect Caitlin to the crime. And I could totally see that. Oh, yeah, exactly. There was only six months between the end of the first trial and the beginning of the second, but it gave prosecutors time to do a deeper dive into the digital evidence. One of the things analysts were able to do was examine Adam Yoder's laptop in more detail. On Adam's laptop, investigators found a backup of Caitlin's phone from just after Mary Yoder's death. And Kath, I don't know if you found anything. I couldn't find anything to explain why Why? it was there, how it was there. Or if she put it there, he put it there. To me, it was odd. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Regardless, it had a lot of damning information. So the second trial began in October 2017, and a digital forensic analyst named Tony Martino testified about the new evidence retrieved from Caitlin's phone, as well as the backup on Adam's computer. Caitlin was using her phone to do research on lethal poisons, and there were numerous times where the word colchazine was typed into the search engine. And it also appeared that Caitlin accessed articles that showed the mathematical formula to convert Mary's weight from pounds to kilograms. This, of course, would have been necessary to determine the amount of colchazine to be given to her. There was also evidence that Caitlin tried to cover her tracks. Kath, it's my understanding that on Caitlin's phone, analysts found thousands of deleted images that contained information that she had pulled after researching these lethal poisons, because what they did was they looked at her images and they cross-referenced the information to Adam's computer. Let me play devil's advocate here just for a second. I don't know how it would happen, but what a brilliant plan, what a diabolical plan if Adam did that on her phone when he had time to get it. Totally. Downloaded it on his computer so that he could delete it, Uh huh. but then still show the police that he had it. I know. Honestly, I... That would be insanely diabolical. But at the same time, all of the other things that have come up, where the email account was, the DNA on the bottle and on the cardboard wrapper, the DNA under the cardboard wrapper on the bottle, the anonymous letter being written that she admitted. All that stuff. I get it. But why on his laptop was this stuff downloaded? She could have done it herself to try to avoid the police from getting it from her own computer at home. Reasonable doubt. Who knows? For this trial, Caitlin's family hired a new defense attorney, Frank Policelli. And Kathy, whereas Scott Pelley was rather creative in his defense and seemed to be a little more mild-mannered, Policelli was much more in-your-face. The district attorney, Scott McNamara, when he on this episode described Policelli, he said, he's very aggressive, he's very in-your-face, he's very grrr. <laughs> And I was just like, who describes a guy like that? That is so funny. (laughs) But anyway, the defense attorney also blamed a Yoder for Mary's murder. But unlike the first trial, it was not her husband, Bill. It was her son, Adam. Defense attorney Policelli believed it was Adam setting Caitlin up by manipulating her and her electronic devices. 
And he said Caitlin wasn't the manipulator. It was Adam. He said Caitlin and Adam had a very toxic relationship built on codependence. And it was Adam who was full of revenge and framed her for killing his mother to get back at her when she wouldn't get back together with him. The only thing I don't understand about that is why would he kill his mother to get back at Caitlin? It doesn't seem to make sense. I agree. Now, one of Adam's cousins who lived with Adam around the time he dated Caitlin took the stand for the defense and testified about their turbulent relationship. He testified that he believed Caitlin was a victim of domestic violence at Adam's hands. After three weeks, the jury began deliberations. This time, prosecutors included a second option for the jury. In addition to second-degree murder, first-degree manslaughter was also an option. I find this so interesting, Kath, because second-degree murder does not have premeditation. It's almost like they were giving her an out, and then, of course, they gave her another out with manslaughter. Right. Because in the state of New York, manslaughter in the first degree is the intent to cause serious physical injury to another person, but you cause the death of that person. So it's an out with intent and act. But here's the funny thing, Kathy. When the jury was deliberating, it asked to look at one piece of evidence and one piece only. And this was the video of the interior. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Interrogation that investigator Ben Amy had with Caitlin, in which she said, Guys don't use poison, it's a lady's weapon. And I thought that was very telling. That is really interesting. After deliberating for several days, the jury was able to reach a unanimous verdict guilty of manslaughter in the first degree. At Caitlin Conley's sentencing two months later, Bill and Adam both gave victim impact statements. Adam said, I hate Caitlin Ann Conley because Caitlin Ann Conley murdered my mother. I introduced her to my family. I got her a job with my parents. And if I hadn't done those things, my mother would still be alive. Bill, on the other hand, had far less animosity. He focused on the fact that he missed his wife, Mary. Caitlin also made a statement. It was one sentence. She said, with all due respect to the justice system, I'm innocent. She was sentenced to 23 years in prison without the possibility of parole and five years of post-release supervision. Caitlin continues to maintain her innocence. Her appeals have been denied by the New York Supreme Court. The now 30-year-old Caitlin Conley is incarcerated at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility. She will be first eligible for parole in May 2037. Thanks for listening. We just got our 200th review. Yay! I know. It it was five stars. (laughs) They're listening to you, Kathy. Although we do have a bone to pick with somebody who left us a review. The title of it was 1,000 out of 10. And I'm like, wow, that's going to be a good review, right? We're not even 10 out of 10. We're a thousand out of 10. And they gave us four stars. Right. I think there was a mistake there. <laughs> so go back and fix it, please. <laughs> so our 200th review was by Joe Jogger. 
Thank you, Joe Jogger. And they titled it Love, Love, Love It. It says, my sister, Kathy with a K, no relations, ha ha ha, (laughs) told me about your podcast. I've been binge listening ever since. I love your humor, love your experience with the law and the court, and love your little side stories too. Keep doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you, Joe Jogger. We totally appreciate it. Absolutely. And happy to have you as our 200th review. Yes, absolutely. If you haven't left us a review, please do. Five stars only. Five five stars only. That's the rule. (laughs) And if you aren't following us on social media, we are at Killer Destinations Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 